Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, uh, over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. Who here just loves discipline, right? (laughs) Who is the most disciplined person in the room? They're probably also the most humble, right? No, I'm kidding. This is a joke. (laughs) Uh, But when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about practices that help strengthen our walk with Jesus. Uh, somewhat of a grounding verse in a passage of scripture for us has been 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, and particularly in verse 7, uh, we see the instruction to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Sometimes the Bible says things that I wish it didn't say. Does anybody else ever kind of fall in that category? Um, <laughs> it says some things that are difficult. <laughs> And when I compare them to my life, I realize I don't measure up. And rather than beating myself up about that, I want to get into gear. I want to make proactive changes in my life so I can look more like Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we help our spiritual lives flourish is by implementing practical things, practical habits, such as spiritual disciplines. And so... um, Taking that exhortation to heart, we've looked at things like prayer, scripture reading, Bible study, fasting. Last week, we talked about worship, and I encouraged you guys to sing. Did anybody make an intentional effort to actually worship the Lord outside of our Sunday morning thing? We know worship is more than just singing, but uh, we talked about the importance of singing and talking about the importance of you singing. So I sang loudly in the shower and in my car this week. It was great. I don't know if my kids thought it was great, but it was great. And so uh, that was something that we've talked about. Those are just a few of the topics that we've hit. If you've not been with us or you'd like to catch up, we do have a podcast that's on the website. Um, We'd encourage you guys to check it out and you guys can get caught up. And so this may be shocking to some of you. This may be revelatory, groundbreaking Um, But in our society, in our culture at this moment, there is something that is taking place. Um, Even the Surgeon General of the United States has labeled uh, that the kind of the the time that we are in, this particular moment in time, there's been this label that has been stamped of an epidemic of loneliness. I don't know if any of you have heard of that or if you've read about that. That sounded made up to me when I first read it. I was like... How can you have, like, I knew that we had, like, a pandemic, like, we had an epidemic with, like, a virus and all that fun stuff, but this epidemic of loneliness seemed like, what is that? But they've done all this research, and I read multiple studies, uh, at least five of them, and just because I, I kind of started going down that Facebook hole, you know, or that, <laughs> where you start click on something, and then you're like three hours later and you're still reading about different things and you just wonder how you got there late at night. Um, That was me and I was reading about this epidemic of loneliness. And the reality of it is, is that people are lonely, especially in the West where we've glorified this kind of sense of individualism, right? I wrote this, that by and large, our culture has moved away from being a family-based society where large decisions are made with the input of close community and family. And it has shifted into this mentality of everyone doing their own thing, where there's no accountability required whatsoever. And I have largely, for the majority of my life up until these last few years, have fallen into this category of fending for myself, of doing my own thing without having to be accountable to anyone. That's one of the things that I struggled with stepping into marriage is having to give an account for myself to someone else uh, because I just did my own thing. That largely had, a, had an impact of me uh, kind of growing up without a family. Um, but that isn't just something that is like a one-off case with me. By and large, within our culture and within our society today, with the rise of individualism, There has been a shifting away from a communal mindset. And I I took specific note, and when we kind of couple this with 
the rise of social media, heck, you might even be able to directly correlate or even blame the popularity of social media for some of this. Um, it's not really a big, like, shocking factor. It's not a wonder to me that we're seeing this kind of surge of loneliness and depression. The, the statistics are overwhelming. Like, well over 70% of Americans will say that they struggle with loneliness or depression. And this is from the Cigna Group. They're like an insurance company, I'm pretty sure, but that we're, we're doing all these kind of, uh, right? That's, that's insurance, right? I'm pretty sure that's what it was, but it was all this medical information. One of the things that I thought was really crazy, though, was that uh, uh, when you look back historically at kind of these studies of loneliness and depression, it used to be that the, there was an older generation that struggled far more with loneliness than the younger generation. That has shifted, that, that has since inverted itself, where young adults are twice as likely to feel lonely than those that are over 60 years old. Take that information with what you will, but I can't help but wonder how much that has to do with a younger generation's interaction with uh, a cellular device or a computer screen. And this isn't, uh, this isn't like a soapbox on the evils of social media or anything like that, but I think I would argue, and I think there's plenty of people that are smarter than me that have argued this, that social platforms like Facebook and Instagram, these things that are built on the very idea of connecting people, right, digitally, that they've done more to drive people apart and promote isolation. You see, friendships and relationships are based on online engagement over in-person interaction, and people are feeling more alone than ever because of it. And that's my soapbox. That's, I'm getting off of that. Um, I will say this. Uh, I have stepped away from social media, not entirely. Uh, I still use, I did delete Facebook from my phone, but uh, I use Facebook still, primarily for Marketplace. I don't know if you guys have uh, known that. I realized that the rest, like, people are here, like Pastor Nate, people aren't even on Facebook anymore. People aren't even on uh, these web platforms. They've moved to TikTok and I was going to say Tinder, but that's not a social platform, is it? <laughs> is it? Is it? Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what's the Snapchat and all those things? What's, what's popular these days? Instagram is the popular one, right? I'm old school. I'm an old fuddy-duddy, like stuck in my waves. I'm still using uh, Facebook Marketplace. Uh, I, have said, I will say this. Uh, since deleting Facebook from my phone, I have not bought a Jeep. <laughs> so I don't know if that's progress. <laughs> I've had to go to Craigslist now. I had somebody recently reach out to me and they were like, man, I really need help finding a Jeep. And I was like on my phone and I'm trying to use the Safari on my phone to use Marketplace and it's not the same. But I have purchased significantly less things since removing social media. Uh, and I say that, I haven't like deleted my accounts. Not some kind of... I don't think it's necessarily evil. I think it is alarming how much time is given to a digital platform over in-person interaction. Does that make sense? That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And so, uh, where was I going? I had notes and stuff. I should probably get back to those. And so, uh, this morning's message um, has taken a slightly different turn than what I had intended on preaching this morning. Um, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Um, but the, the kind of the center focus of what we're talking about today are the disciplines of community and fellowship. And moreover than that, it's, it's going to be somewhat of an introduction. This is a part one of talking about the discipline of community. Because um, I know I'm not going to be able to exhaust it this morning. And there were some some things that we were going to implement into it, but I still think it's important to uh, dive into this. So we're talking about the disciplines of community and fellowship, two things that are desperately needed in the life of every Christian. Hear me. Every Christian desperately needs community and fellowship, but they're not always viewed as disciplines to be practiced. 
And uh, I think that's interesting, and I want to kind of expound upon that. But I'm listing them in our teachings because I want to be very honest. Uh, they're difficult. Community is hard. Fellowship is, is, is difficult because, frankly, people are difficult. I want you to look around the room right now. Find somebody. Find the most difficult person you know in the room and just stare them down. Everybody's looking at their spouses, and I'm really uncomfortable with that. That's not where I wanted this to go. <laughs> um, that, was, that was a joke. Uh, some people were actually staring people down, and now I'm uncomfortable. Wasn't prepared for that. I thought it was, it, I thought it was implied that I was making, making a joke. I'm hoping maybe you were making a joke there. But people are difficult, right? Anybody that has family knows that it's hard and that most oftentimes it's your family that hurts and wounds you the most or the most difficult to get along with. But at the same time, some of your most valuable relationships in life belong to your family, right? Uh, I say that. Uh, that's a difficult one for me to wrap my mind around. That's a difficult one for me to really engage with a lot of the times because if you know my story some of, my, some of you may not be familiar, but I didn't grow up with a traditional family. I didn't really have a family that was present, um, but I did find church family that was still equally difficult <laughs> to navigate <laughs> and arguably sometimes a little more weird and uh, can equally be hurtful. You know, I want, I want to be real. There isn't going to be a perfect church that you can find. Our church here, Open Door Church, is not a perfect church. You can come through these doors and you can get hurt. And I want to, I want to say that we make strides and efforts so that's not the case. But people hurt people. Relationships are messy. Things are difficult. And it's not just always cut and dry. And for that reason, I believe it takes discipline to be actively engaged in spiritual community. And it's something that we need to highlight. It's something that we need to be engaged in. You see, community is unique because I not only see it as a spiritual discipline to cultivate and grow in, but it also serves as the environment for all the other disciplines we've been talking about to be developed in. Prayer, Bible study, fasting, generosity, which we haven't talked about yet, worship, singing, they all benefit exponentially from being practiced together with other believers. Does that make sense? Community is essential to the Christian faith. And I believe that the enemy would like for nothing more than try to isolate you, to separate you from the people of God and try to convince you that you can do it by yourself. Uh, this is what Dallas Willard says about community in regards to spiritual disciplines. He says this, Spiritual formation cannot, in the nature of the case, be a private thing because it is a matter of whole life transformation. You need to seek out others in your community who are pursuing the renovation of the heart. You see, I think oftentimes we want to view our relationships with God as something personal and private. And while there's definitely an aspect of knowing God personally and intimately, Scripture never gives the slightest inclination that we're promised privacy. Rather, we see the command to engage intentionally with each other consistently. Do you know that there are 59 occurrences of one another in the New Testament, where scripture uh, explicitly commands us to interact with some way with other people. We want to think about our relationship with God as being paramount, as being, uh, as being number one, and it is, but I do believe that our relationship with God does actually, uh, there is, uh, how, how would I want to say this? Um, you know, sometimes words and English is hard. It's like I haven't spoken this language before. As much as we hate to admit it, our spiritual lives are contingent upon our interactions with other people far more than we want to think. 
That's why scripture is so clear about the way that we interact with other brothers and sisters and how we interact with other people. And that's why there's 59 different examples in scripture of how we're to interact with one another how we're to love of one another, how we're to bear one another's burdens, how we're to pray with one another, how we're to submit to one another, how we're to serve one another. There, there are countless examples of that in Scripture, and I think we would be amiss to think that your relationship is simply, or, or your spiritual journey is simply about your walk with God and your relationship with God. Because as much as it is about your relationship with God, there is an important aspect to it that is about your relationship with other people. And that's why community is a big deal. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so, more often than not, I have come across this passage of scripture, and I myself have probably been guilty of this in the past, but I've looked at this passage of scripture and I've, I've heard it shared, I've shared it in light of making sure you get your butt to church on a Sunday morning. Can I say that? Can I say, can I say butt to church in a sermon? Do we have to edit that out of the podcast? Are we going to get a little E for explicit now on it? Um, <laughs> not for kids. Um, and so I want to be clear here. The Greek word that is used uh, when describing the assembling of ourselves together is this word called episynagogue. You can kind of see where that comes. Or it's actually, I think if I was trying to pronounce it in uh, correctly, it's episynagoge. But I don't know. I don't speak Greek. Anybody here speak Greek? Nobody's going to correct me on it? Great. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Should have just pretended. That was something a pastor told me one time. It's like when you're trying to pronounce Greek or Hebrew words, just say it with confidence and nobody's ever going to correct you because the average person in your church doesn't speak Greek. And so it just makes you sound smart. So you should try to use as many Greek and Hebrew words as possible and they'll, they'll think you're, you're smarter than you actually are. Anyway, where was I talking about that? That word there that's used for the assembling of ourselves together um, it does actually refer to a formal gathering, such as a Sunday morning service. And that's something that I 100% believe in being committed to and disciplined in, and I believe it is vital to the growth of anyone that is trying to follow Jesus. So please don't misconstrue my, my teaching or my intentions this morning. But I do believe that church, intended, church attendance, actually showing up, actually getting here is very, very important. It's just not enough. You see, uh, I, read this, uh, re I read this study, this survey from Pew Research Center, and it says that 78% of the general public and 70% of church-going people, this was people that go to church at least once a month, 70% believe that you can be a good Christian without attending a church. And I want to tell you, that is stupid. <laughs> that is rubbish, and that's the most nonsensical thing that I've ever heard. And maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're one of these 70% or 78% because you're here at church on a Sunday morning. That just is like mind-boggling to me that people believe this that you can be a good Christian without being a part of the church, without being a, a, a part of his church, of actually going and attending church. I think that that is something that is very important in the life of the believer. I think that that is what Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about it. But I think the author of Hebrews, when he wrote those words encouraging people not to forsake the gathering of the saints, to not forsake uh, the, the assembling of ourselves, that their church didn't look like our church does where we come up and sit in a pew to be entertained. You see, I think one, 
one reason why this kind of language of, uh, you know, that you can be a good Christian without attending church is uh, absolute rubbish is that there isn't really a good thing. There really isn't such a thing as a good Christian versus a bad Christian. Uh, and I could uh, argue that for a while. The guys from Emory probably wouldn't... Uh, uh, Nobody here listens to Emory. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a podcast that's popular that's called Bad Christian. It's a bunch of Christians that swear and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> anyway, now you're all going to go check it out. Um, making a, it's a band that I really liked when I was in high school. Uh, <laughs> they started a podcast. Um, but the whole concept of a bad Christian or a good Christian is foreign to me because either you're serving Jesus or you're not. Either you're following Jesus or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. And I don't feel like there's these degrees or these levels within, uh, within sanctification, within serving Jesus where you're a level three Christian or a level four Christian or you got the Christian plus package that we often joke about here. That just isn't a thing. But I think secondly that you know, church attendance just isn't a very good metric for measuring your spiritual growth. And the reason why I say that is there are plenty of people that wind up in churches on Sunday morning sitting where you're sitting right now, week after week after week after week after week, and they will do it their entire lives, but they still have no genuine relationship with God. Uh, Keith Green would often say, going to church does nothing, uh, he would say something along the lines of just simply going to church uh, doesn't make you a Christian anymore as much as going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. And I think that that is so true. You walking through these doors and sitting in a seat or even filling out a membership card isn't the isn't the measurement of whether or not you're following Jesus. Do I think it's important? Yes. But so many people stop at the place of, well, I attend Open Door Church, so I must be good with God. And that's just simply not what we're invited into. We're invited into relationship with God. And one of our, one of our passions here, one of the things that is driving this motivation behind the, 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 the teaching here on spiritual disciplines is that you would learn to abide in the vine and bear much fruit. That's what we want. That's what we desired. And while, yes, being disciplined in coming to, to gather with the saints and being intentional about coming to church is a, is a big deal. I don't want to kind of sidestep that. That's a big aspect of it. But it's so much more than that. Because how many of you guys know genuine community isn't fostered with the few minutes that we have together on Sunday morning? I know we get a whole five minutes to greet one another, which it seems like a lot in, in the moment, but that isn't enough time to really, excuse me, I haven't had anything to drink in a while, so I don't know why I burped, but uh, <laughs> the time that we have on a Sunday morning isn't enough time to, to really dig deep into the issues of life, to, to really get to know one another and, and, and be able to walk through somebody with their pain. It's simply a connecting place where hopefully we get to launch and go deeper into each other's lives to develop meaningful friendships and relationships where we experience the communal love of God. Hmm. So I wrote here that church attendance is not a great metric to measure spiritual health. Because there's a big difference between involvement and attendance. My, my passion is that you wouldn't just show up to Open Door Church. My passion would be that you'd be involved in the life of this church. We have things like Deeper Project where we study the scriptures together. And then we have fun and we play Catan. <laughs> and board games. And I think there's something actually uh, life-giving about being able to hang out with the people that you go to church with. 
You know, we play ultimate frisbee. We, we, we go skiing together. We do these things because we want to be intentional about being involved in community with one another. I think this is a perfect time to make another plug for Friday night marriage group where we're inviting married couples to come and join in a meal and share around a table of fellowship as we genuinely get into the things that we can't in five minutes in passing on a Sunday morning. To be intentional about community is so much more than just coming to church. You guys understand that, right? But coming to church is still a big deal, right? You guys get that? I'm not trying. They're not competing points here. And so I'm sharing this because Pagosa has shocked me. Uh, because it seems to be a, a breeding ground, if you will, for hyper-individualized spirituality. Has anybody encountered that in the wild here? <laughs> it's this kind of spirituality where it's all about me and God. And it's all about me connecting with God and going to be with God. And there's plenty of people who think that going to church Wow, I tried to go back to my notes and read a point from four points up, and I don't know what I'm doing there. Awesome. <laughs> I was talking about hyper-individualized spirituality, and it's this uh, where it's all about me and my relationship with God. Wow. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. You guys realized yeah. that I wasn't making sense? Now we can come back and hopefully get on a page where we're making sense again. Uh, <laughs> But talking about hyper-individualized spirituality and it's this mentality where it's all about me and my relationship with God, where I go out to the mountains to worship and hear from God, or I'll, I'll go out on a, on a hike to really connect with the Lord, and I don't need to go to church. This is language I encounter all too often. I have good friends that I talk to on a consistent basis that would consider themselves followers of Jesus but they do not see the value in being engaged with the local church. And whether it's that the church has hurt them or they don't like the preacher or they don't like the singing or arguably they feel like they connect with God better when they're by themselves. All of these things, I believe, are dangerous and contrary to scripture. Because guess what? I love to go out and get in the mountains and hear from God. It's one of my favorite things to do. I've connected with God in more powerful and profound ways when it's been in seclusion, when I've been out on Williams Lake or I've been up on top of a mountain or I've been out in the back country and I have had profound experiences with the Lord that were beneficial to my heart and that were good. And I would encourage people, we live in a place where, yeah, go outside and connect with God in nature. It's awesome, do it. But that's not a replacement for the local church. That's something that should be celebrated in addition, to, uh, in addition to being engaged with God's people. You see, I, I wrote this, don't let the fact that you can connect with God outside of the church keep you from connecting with his church. Because the reality is, we need you. I need you. And as much as you might hate to admit it, you need us. You need me. I want you, I want you, I want you to sit, sit on that for a moment. Did you know Nathaniel in the, in the Bible actually means a gift from God? I am God's gift to you. Scripture, scripture would say that in Ephesians chapter 4. I just, I think nobody said amen to that. All they did was laugh. Maybe I'm insulted. But the reality is, is that we need each other and that community is a gift because we all bring different giftings to the body. Could you imagine a church made up entirely of Nate Wards? That would be a terrible place. One of me is too much. Could you imagine a bunch of people like me? That would be disastrous. <laughs> right? Could you imagine me just without Kelly? How, how terrible that would be. No, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be a mess. But <laughs> the community of God 
is beautiful because it's founded in diversity. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I felt like it would be just fitting to read this here if my computer didn't freeze. There we go. But he says this. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. It just is stupid. Um, but if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So you cannot say to any other believer, any other member of the family of God that you do not need them. And they equally can't say they don't need you. We need each other. That was ad-libbed. That wasn't Paul. That was me. But if we go back, it concludes in verse 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. You see, many of us, we want a community that looks, feels, and talks exactly the same way that we do. I was convinced, friends, for a long time that I was going to find my spouse at a punk rock concert. <laughs> or or I'd, I'd, I'd put like this scenario in my mind where I'd be driving down the road and I'd be listening to some obscure band and that... Uh, my spouse was going to recognize the music I was listening to and therefore we were going to hit it off and have this connection because we loved the same music and then we were going to get married and it was going to be this beautiful thing. Can I tell you, that's only happened to me one time and it wasn't with my spouse, it was with some creepy guy sitting in the back row. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> ben just has this really strange uh, look on his face because we both like the same music. And that's, that's the only person that I, I have a friendship with that we like the same music. But I had this, I had this idea for so long that I was going to uh, marry a girl that had the same favorite band as me. And this revelation kind of came to me when I was with Adam and we flew out to Portland, Oregon and we went and stood in line to go to this concert that we had really wanted to see of this particular band. And all the other guys were talking about, I could never marry a girl that doesn't like this band called Showbread. And I just couldn't be with somebody that didn't like this. And I was like, man, my wife doesn't like this music. And Adam was like, my wife doesn't like this music. And we were both realizing, I am so grateful that I didn't marry a girl from the scene. <laughs> and I didn't wind up with somebody that listened and liked and did everything exactly the same way I did because one, it would be a disastrous mix. And two, it just wouldn't have been as fun as it is. Um, I realize that may seem like a stretch and irrelevant, but I do believe there is something beautiful about the community of God being made up of different people from all different walks of life of all different stories and different backgrounds because it universally shows that Jesus is sufficient for anyone and everyone. Yes. Regardless of if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're black or if you're white or if you, come, uh, if you come from a sketchy background or if you had great parents, we all equally have need of Jesus. And I think that that is so cool, but... I think a lot of the times when we think about community, we want a community that looks and feels and, are, and talks and is kind of um, just a, a reproduction of ourselves, if you will. I think that that is one of the scary things about kind of Christian media and cultures that, you know, we just want a bunch of people that think and act and look all the same. That's not what Jesus has called us to. That's not his intention but that's also the reason why community is a discipline. Because we have, to learn, we have to learn to love and care for people who aren't exactly like us. And that's difficult. 
Because people that aren't like me, I have to put up with Elliot, who does not like the same music that I like. And sometimes we go on long car rides, and I listen to country music with Elliot because I love Elliot. Not because I love country music, but the Lord is working on me, and I'm learning. I'm learning to love people that are different than me, even if they're wrong. (laughs) I'm kidding. Obviously, there's much that the Lord needs to refine in my life. (laughs) Um, But we have to learn to love and care for people who aren't exactly like us. And that's one of the reasons why community has to be a discipline. You see, we have to practice habits of serving people even when it's hard and bearing with people when they may not be in the same place spiritually that we are. That's difficult. That can be frustrating. That can be tiring sometimes, but it's important. And I'm so grateful for the people that put up with me on a consistent basis because at the end of the day, I am better for it because I was invited into community and into family. Guys, this church could have chased me out the first couple weeks that I was here because I did not fit in whatsoever at all. (laughs) But instead, I found a group of people that loved me because they loved Jesus. And I'm still here in the house and the family of God because there are people that genuinely love me. And that's something that we can only find in the context of Biblical Jesus community. Okay. Practicing the discipline of community isn't about finding the right group of people. I want you to, I want you to take note of that. You just finding the right group of people is not what it looks like to, to practice community. Finding people that you like is not practicing a discipline of community. Because guess what? In biblical community, there are probably going to be people that you don't like, and you should thank God for that. Because that's opportunity for you to grow. I'm not saying harbor bitterness towards people. I'm not saying just don't like people in general. That's probably bad. But it is opportunity for God to stretch you and grow you and God to do profound things within the context of community. So practicing the discipline of community isn't about finding the right group of people, but it looks more like committing to a group of people. And so many people are afraid of commitment these days, right? But it's not just any people, right? Because I could just go find a bunch of people that like to play ultimate Frisbee and commit myself to them, and then it would be all all good and all fun. I'm talking about... Uh, committing yourself to a group of people that embody the characteristics that are found in the early church in the book of Acts. In Acts 2.42, Scripture describes the early church as people who continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, talking about communion and in prayer. These are things that... uh, I would like to think define us here at Open Door Church. I don't think we're perfect. I don't think we've nailed it and we figured out this church life thing. We we figured out community in perfection by any stretch. No, but there are people here who are committed to following Jesus. And as a result, they're committed to loving me while I try to figure out this whole following Jesus thing. I believe those kind of people in Pagosa is blessed with churches that are committed to following Jesus. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But it's also the reason why I can't comprehend why people would try to say they love Jesus, but they don't want to be a part of his church. Because Jesus died for his bride. And he cherishes her. So again, the discipline of community It's not about finding the right group of people, but it's committing to a group of people. And I would encourage you to commit with everything inside of you to a group of people that are passionate about serving and following Jesus. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we're going to read it again. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching to stir up love and good works. I've uh, been referring to that language as something called uh, holy provocation. In fact, I preached a message about this time last year out of this same passage of scripture. But it, it invites this mindset to intentionally surround yourself with people that will provoke you to holiness that will provoke you to love well, that will provoke you to do right. That's something that I have to do. I have to be intentional about surrounding myself with people, people like Pastor Adam. I have a friend named Daniel McLean who provoke me to love Jesus well, who, who, who stir up, who stir me up to love and to do good works. And that happens in the context of community. I want you to think about it like this. It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible to love in isolation, right? I mean, I guess you could love yourself and that's probably what tends to happen if you're isolated, but it is impossible to love others from a place of isolation, you see, the word that's used here in Hebrews chapter 10 when talking about stirring up to love is that word agape that you may be familiar with, this idea of brotherly love. It's all over the New Testament. And I love what John Robinson, he's a New Testament scholar, he says this about that word love. He says, love needs stimulation in society. Faith and hope can be practiced by a solitary in a hermit cell, or on a desert island. But the exercise of love is possible only in a community. That's wild, right? <laughs> you can have faith in God all alone, right? <laughs> you can hope in God by yourself, and I, I would argue probably not for very long, but, but you cannot love others outside of a place of community. I think it's wild that the that the word for saint, it's hagios in the Greek. I'd probably pronounce that wrong, but I've already admitted to that. It occurs 68 times in the Bible. Only one of those times, only one mention of the word saint in Scripture, it's found in Philippians 4.21, does it occur in the singular. And even in that place, in that context, it's still implied with plurality in view. So what am I saying with all of that? Is that the word saint in scripture always exists in the plural. There's not room for an idea of singular saints in scripture. It's that idea of exhorting one another, of encouraging one another. That is so pivotal to seeing community be established where God is glorified. The model of consumer Christianity that exists in evangelical circles and, and churches like we know it has to come to an end. This idea of forsaking the assembly that the author of Hebrews would write about, it does not simply equate with not going to church. It exists as much more than that because there are churches that are filled with people that have perfect attendance on their record, but they've forsaken the assembly because passive attendance is different than active involvement. Hmm. The notion that the church or that church is just something that you attend on Sunday mornings isn't even remotely something that the scriptures allude to. Is it a part of it? 100%, totally. But I've often kind of heard this analogy, and it's the difference between a spectator and a participator, right? Because we're not invited to just come and spectate about what God's doing. Scripture invites us into this narrative where we participate with God in what he's doing. 
Even, you know, one of my favorite things that we ever did as a church here was we actually took everything off the platform one Sunday, and I just put it down here in the middle of the room, and I switched all the chairs, and we had a big circle. I think there were probably like three of us from that time that we did that still here in the church today, uh, but uh, everybody kind of showed up on a Sunday morning. They're like, what's going on? And we had the worship team down here in the front, and it kind of just changed the perspective. Uh, not everybody was like sitting in a theater seat watching some kind of entertainment. It was something to be actually engaged in. Maybe we'll do that again. I don't know. It'll be fun. But um, the mentality is, is that our participation in the family of God and our participation in community requires just that, participation, not just spectation. It's like if you went to go see the Broncos play. I heard the Broncos won a game last night. Did anybody watch it? Nobody cares about the Broncos, do they? Who here cares about the Broncos? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> well, we have, we have a church that is like, woo. Aaron Soul really cares about the Broncos. That is true. I think they won like 41 to zero. It's a preseason game. Preseason games don't count. Uh, they lost their other two precincts. Anyway. anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about football, but let's say that your favorite team is the Broncos and you went to... Uh, I was going to say Mile High Field. What is it now? Empower, Empower Field? I don't know. It's been so many days. It's still Mile High. Whatever. Uh, you go to Mile High Stadium in Denver uh, to watch the Broncos play, and you're sitting up in the stands, and you can scream and holler and yell all you want, but that's not going to make a difference on what's happening down on the field. What actually makes a difference is the time that they, the athletes, put in off of the field in training and in practice and on whether or not they actually play the game well. And Jesus doesn't anticipate us just sitting in the stands cheering from a distance. He invites us to actually play the game, right? He invites us to actually live life and do it with a collective community to see success. And I, guys... Football analogies are not my thing. I realize that breaks down on so many different levels. But we have to stop viewing church simply as a place that we come to receive, where, where you come to, to get something from a message, where you come to get something from worship, where you come to get something from Pastor Nate. Because be honest, there are way better pastors that you could listen to to get a lot more from just on the internet at home. <laughs> but what we have here. As a community, as a family, somebody's going to correct me and say, you need to stop downplaying yourself like that, Pastor Nate. It's true. There are, there are good preachers out there that you can listen to, but something special is reserved for the family of God in us coming together in intentional community where transformation can actually take place. And that exists far more than what two hours on a Sunday morning can allot, right? We, we understand that. And so I would rather us to stop viewing church simply as a place where we come to receive, but rather that we would come with the expectation to give something, to give encouragement to one another, to provoke one another, to stir up one another, to love and to do good, to encourage one another is not the same as simply receiving expert. When you encourage someone, I want you to hear this. When you encourage someone in this church, it carries, a, a, and you, you bring some exhortation to them, and you tell them to do something from a genuine place of concern, it carries, uh, I believe, sometimes a lot more value than when I just say it from the pulpit up here. I've seen greater response from brothers and sisters encouraging one another to pursue a life of holiness than simply hearing it from the pastor. And I, I want you to listen to what I say. I want you to take it to heart. I want you to, to let it transform your life. But there is something profound from receiving from another brother and sister where you know it comes from a genuine place of care and concern that, that it's easier to receive sometimes than just when it feels like the pastor is up there preaching a message and doing his job. Does that make sense? And so when you come with something to give to one another, I believe that that's uh, transformative and empowering. And so my prayer is that you would come into this house eager and expecting to receive, but also equally to give in return, because that's what scripture asks of us. 
can I, can I be honest this morning? This was not what I intended to preach. I had a different message outlined and I cut a bunch of it out because it was centering around a baby dedication this morning. Um, but I believe the Lord kind of stirred things and directed it differently. And that's why this is simply serving as an introduction to the topic of the spiritual discipline of community. Um, because I had built my message this morning around doing a baby dedication and really kind of putting some of this community-mindedness into practice. And so uh, Joey and Janelle, um, whom you may know, and their little baby Juliet, uh, they were going to dedicate her this morning as part of the service, and we were going to surround them and pray for them and uh, have a beautiful ceremony and a child dedication to the Lord. And we, I was really excited about that. In fact, uh, when Joey first talked to me, I was like, man, that would fit perfectly into me talking about community and the spiritual discipline of community, so let's do that. Um, but uh, a few minutes uh, before church started this morning during prayer, I got a message saying that they weren't going to be able to make it today because they all have some kind of nasty stomach bug. And uh, so I paused. I said, well, God, what do you want to do? Should I write another sermon or should I continue just preaching on community like you asked? And so uh, I don't know how I spoke for 42 minutes on, on that <laughs> without, uh, um, without getting into where we were going to go today but God is good. What I'm saying here is this. Um, I want us to be minded about community, but I want us to end the service today in praying for those who are sick. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.